0: Welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day for an interview. And I'm excited because I've got Randy Lee Bosler with me. Randy Lee is a writer, a fellow author, a woman who has found that writing is releasing some of the demons uh in her own past she has gone through the darkness um just as much as me and and it is it is beautiful to see a fellow traveler on this path to recovery which does not necessarily need to mean addiction a path to recovery is actually a path of living a lot to a to a state where you live your life in such a beautiful way that you don't want to escape your reality so that is true sobriety. So, and wherever you start, if that is mental health or if that is uh, addiction or whatever the issue is, once you have actually done the hard work and you dealt with your demons, you come to a point where you say, life is good. I like my life. I like myself. What's and all? And that's exactly what Randa Lee is up to. So Randa Lee, welcome to my story.
1: Hello, that was an awesome way to introduce the whole thing. I
0: liked it. <laughs> uh, no t- storytelling, and that is that is really something that you do well. That you that has helped you in your uh, in your darkness, um, and the writing is something that is so sometimes under underestimated in its power. Yet yeah. it is so revealing and therefore it's so beautiful to actually to have a fellow author uh, on, on board who who can share her journey. And so, yeah. I mean, you know, did you always write or what did you want to be when you were a little girl?
1: I wanted to be a famous actor when I was a little girl. Oh. <laughs> um, so I guess since I have my own YouTube channel, I kind of am now. It's a lot easier than it was back when I had that dream
0: exactly <laughs>
1: isn't it? youtube was not a thing um but i pretty much have always written when i was younger i used to write plays and stuff and make my cousins act them out with me oh cool yeah you were um, always a fespian
0: the the, always the stage was waiting for you one way or the other <laughs> exactly
1: i just didn't know how i was gonna get there but i was gonna get there
0: <laughs> excellent excellent and did you also do some school plays Did you? Did you? Oh, every school play. Oh, really? (laughs) Excellent. Every school play.
1: In my my grade six school play, I was one of the lead characters. Oh, I was the Queen of Hearts.
0: Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try, but it doesn't work so well with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Got to grow it out a little.
0: Yeah, that's right. So the Queen, I never made it as Queen. No. Uh, but I don't think we actually had school plays in Germany. We were far more oh. serious and we were far more, we are learning, you're here to learn, boy. um That kind of thing. So it was far more, yeah. Yeah, maybe a bit boring. That's not fun. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was what it was. Hey. Uh, that was so cool. Oh. So you actually had quite a good good school time. Uh, do I hear you oh, right there?
1: In elementary school, yeah. yeah, in from kindergarten to grade six yeah. was awesome. I absolutely loved school. I was in every school play, every club, every sports team. It was great. And then I had to switch schools in grade seven.
0: so you had to quit school so the school was actually the particular school you attended was actually nourishing you was actually feeding you and then you had to leave that school came somewhere different and then the wheels came off do I hear you right
1: yeah pretty much we so the school that I was at it only went up to grade six Mm. and so after that we all had to go to this other school that Mm. was kindergarten to grade eight so everybody that was there had already been together their whole t- school life yeah. and then you throw in another well yeah. our school and another school you throw them in and mm. so it was all very confusing and just it was a lot it was a mm. big change
0: oh and okay so how did you deal with that change so how-
1: Was Um, the change
0: to the degree of bullying or was it just confusion? um, Well,
1: I had already had a little bit of bullying in grade five. There was this new girl that had come to our school. um, And for whatever reason, she just set her sights on me Mm. and bullied me a lot. Mm. Um, But only that one girl really in elementary school. And then when I went to grade seven, I found out that I was the poor kid. And I didn't know that before. So all of a sudden my clothes from Zellers and Byway, um, they were no good. My secondhand thrift store clothes, they were no good anymore. And I I didn't know that before. And mm. I I found out in a very lovely way where people just started making fun of my clothes.
0: Again. I don't think we've ever had that. Maybe it was maybe I was sort of out of working in a working class school and coming from a working class environment. Um, we certainly were not rich by any stretch of imagination. I don't think I had anything that had a label on that was recognizable. Um, but luckily, there was not that was not a reason for bullying. Um, it was there were bullies around, assholes around, just as much as you you find assholes everywhere. And yeah. Yes, I was bullied, but I think that was more a person rather than a culture um, in our school. So again, I was lucky that that did not affect me. Um, mm-hmm. But here you go. It's sort of, you know, traumas are added one at a time. And for yeah. some of us, unfortunately, they start very early and they change your core beliefs and they change what you what you tell yourself those little bloody lies that you come up with that oh. makes so perfect sense when you're eight or 10 and they stick with mm-hmm. you until until nowadays. And you think, what the hell, how do I respond? Why does this person yeah. trigger me so much? Yep. That's mm-hmm. where you're coming in, but we are fast forwarding yeah. here already. So here you were at school, a uh, bit of bullying, but ultimately swap off of uh, schools and um, things became more challenging what happened then
1: yeah I it basically lost all the friends that I had before and it wasn't for any particular reason that I can remember I mean this is like 20 years ago um so it's Mm. not for any particular reason that I can remember other than I think it was just because we went to this new school lots of other kids they just Mm. found people that they more got along with um So in that way, it wasn't a big deal. But the problem is I didn't find another group. Mm -hmm. I was still kind of the only, like I was just by myself. No, I didn't Mm -hmm. really get along necessarily with anybody else. Um, So then I did make friends with this one girl in grade seven and we were really good friends. Uh, Did a lot of sleepovers and hangouts and whatever. But then in grade eight, uh, she met this other girl who was just like so super cool um, and so the one night I remember we were she was sleeping over at my house. We walked to the corner store to get candy. And as we're walking back, she says to me, you know, I still want to be your friend, but maybe we can just be secret friends at school.
2: <laughs> Ooh. Like
1: seriously. And of course my head is I spinning. I'm like, what, 13 years old? And I'm like, what the fuck is a secret friend? Like, I don't know what that means. And I don't have any other friends really at school. So I was just kind of like, didn't know what to make of all of that. (laughs) So I I actually, I joined the chess team at school. So I didn't have to go out to recess because in that way I got to stay in and people had to converse with me. They were kind of forced to, (laughs) um, and, uh, yeah, all the people that were on the chess, uh, like chess club. We didn't become friends necessarily, but none of them were mean. They were all sort of Good. like me, just sort yes. of the outsiders.
0: Mm. Which is bizarre, ultimately. It's such a fucking cliche. Um, and it's just so bizarre. It is, uh, what's wrong with chess, number one? and um, Number two is, does that mean that uh, if you're maybe a little bit more strategically thinking that you're punished? You know, what does that say about the society um, yeah. and its values? So okay but that's another story that's a complete (laughs) exactly (laughs) um so okay so chess uh was that your rescue or was that actually just a nice pastime
1: it was just pastime
0: yeah just keep me
1: keep me from having to go out on recess and stand by myself
0: good idea good idea but also worked really
1: well in the winter too and uh
0: (sighs) yeah but of course uh, chess lays the foundation of a certain type of thinking which comes quite handy actually when you want to create story arcs and when you want to create (laughs) maybe overreaching kind of stories in a book or tell a story in a different way yeah so you gotta
1: think like three steps ahead exactly
0: right right. exactly right oh good on you never thought
1: of that before yeah, it, well, it it it
0: helps. <laughs> no, fantastic. Yeah. So, and and does the writing continued or or uh, was that something? Yeah,
1: I, I still wrote. I I started, you know, keeping my diary at that time, ah. <laughs> um, and I was writing, still writing plays, yeah. um, and I. <laughs> I constantly started novels yeah, and never finished
2: yeah. them. <laughs> uh, I
1: wish I I wish I still had some of those. Maybe I'd finish them now, but um, yeah. I had all sorts of stories, like half started and whatever.
0: Cool. Cool. Although uh, you would probably cringe if I look at the first book that I've written, it makes me shudder. Um we get but, better
1: as we keep going.
0: Well, exactly. It's like like yeah. going to the gym. The first time you can barely like, lift it at, the at, at, uh, just just the, the thing that you grip, leave alone, put some plates on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. The bar. That's what that was the word I was yeah. looking for. No, it is what it is. Um cool. And then how did your life continue? So school finishes. Um
2: so
1: yeah, grade eight, graduate, and then I go to high school. Um, so for the first semester of grade nine, I went to what was supposed to be the artsy high school. Like that is how they promoted it to everybody. Mm -hmm. All of you, like you still have to take your math and English, but everything's going to revolve around being artsy. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, perfect. I'm I'm artsy. I want to do, be an actor. I want drama class, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I went there. It was not like what they said it was at all. Um, so it was, I mean, I did meet a couple of friends there. So that was nice. I had a, a few uh, friends there, yeah. but, and it was great because that school, there was like me and I think one other person from my old school that went there. Yeah. So it was basically an entire fresh start. So that was great. But then I go and the school, it was nothing like they said it was going to be. It was more like just a regular high school, not artsy, like they said. Yeah. And in order for me to get to that school, I had to take the city bus at 6 30 in the morning, which was the very first bus available, down to my bus stop and then wait for another half an hour for my school bus to come. So it was like it was a lot in order to go there. And it wasn't like what they said it was gonna be. So I ended up switching um in for second semester. And I went to um I ended up going to the school that everybody else that I was at school went to, which I tried really hard not to go there, but the way that it works where I live is you have to go to the school in your area Mm. unless you can think of a reason to go to a different one. So the reason I got to go to Niagara district or yeah, Niagara district was that was what it's called. It's closed now. Anyways, Mm. The first school was because it was supposed to be the artsy school. Mm. So that's why I was allowed to go there. So then after that I should have went to Thorold, but I really didn't want to go there. So I said I was going to uh, Sir Winston because I think it was the music class. They had there, and they didn't have at Floral. I think that's what I said. So I tried. So I used that, so then I could go there.
0: And try this, try that, and nothing really panned out. Does it sound a bit like that?
1: Uh, Yeah. So I, I I even I got did get into Sir Winston, and it wasn't horrible. Except I still felt like a, a complete outsider. One of the friends that I met though at that first school I went to, she also switched. So that was kind of good. So I had her, but that was pretty much it. Like I made a few, I would say more acquaintances Mm. um, along the way, people I could chat with here and there. But I often would eat lunch just in the hallway by my locker. Mm. Um, I wasn't on any of the sports teams. Didn't join any of the clubs. I just didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. Mm. And there, there wasn't any direct bullying there, just more this ultimate feeling of, not fitting in.
2: How did that continue?
1: Um, well that was pretty much all of high school, and the problem with that is at the same time that that was going on, like going to school, um my brother, who was four years older than me, he was going through all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> um, at that time, he actually was in jail when I started in high school. Um, Cause he had gotten into <laughs> his own addiction um, as a teenager and he was in and out of jail. So when I was changing schools to go to high school, he was in jail um, at that time. I don't even remember what it was for. I don't even know if I ever knew my mom might've told me at some point, <laughs> but anyways, he wasn't there. My mom ended up getting married um, in between the summers of grade eight and grade nine. She got married um, to somebody who turned out to be an alcoholic mm. Um and as time progressed, so as I was going through high school and time was progressing, he was getting continually worse. So I'm going to school, not feeling like I'm fitting in, mm. not knowing really what to do. And so I skipped a lot. I skipped a lot of school. So I just didn't have to feel that anymore. Mm. Um, and my mom's role was you have to stay home then so you're safe and you have to pass all your classes. All right. <laughs>
2: Okay.
1: Um. But then I also never wanted anybody to come over to my house to yeah. see my drunken stepfather to, and eventually when my brother got out of jail to see my brother mm. and being addicted. And so it was just really hard, even just being at home. Sometimes I would be hiding upstairs in my bedroom with my cats. I had two mm. cats at the time um, crying because downstairs was just a shit show, I guess, for lack of a better term. Mm.
0: And did you get tempted yourself? Did you get tempted yourself with alcohol? Was it? An, um,
2: did it so not, I, did
1: go, I did go to some parties as a teenager. You know, most of us do. Um, and I did drink. Um, did get drunk a bunch of times. But nothing to the point that I really wanted to keep drinking. And I've never done any drugs because I saw the effect it had on my brother And I was like, I am never like, I don't want to touch anything. Marijuana is legal here now. And I want nothing to do with it because I saw what happened to him. Um, I'll still drink from time to time, but not Mm -hmm. maybe three times in the whole year. Cause again, I've seen what it does and it just, it ruins people. And even if I do have a drink, uh, I'm lucky enough that I can stop and I can go, no, Mm. I'm, I don't want to pass that line. Like, here's my line. If I have another one, I am far past that line. And I've learned where it is and I don't want to do it. But really, Mm. I surround myself with people who are not drinkers, who are not people who are doing drugs, because I grew up with all that and I am not down for that.
0: So it's interesting. Here you are actually um, trying to find your place in life. And you uh, essentially, there were no major, major traumas. Yes there was a shit show going on uh in yeah. your in your house and you didn't really feel right in but it was you were lucky to a degree you were sort of in a gray zone um yeah. there was you were never sexually abused as a child these kind of often horrendous yeah, stories Yeah I was never
1: beat I always had yeah. enough food I always had a roof over my head exactly. like I was very lucky in that way and um my aunt I could go to her house whenever I wanted. I spent mm. a lot of time at her house in those years. I yeah. had a I had a mattress on the floor in her <laughs> house actually and <laughs> and a drawer <laughs> where I kept clothes. Um, so I basically had a second yeah. home that yeah. I spent a lot of time at. So yes. I, I was really lucky that way. And my mom, yes. she did the best she could. I mean, at the time everything was happening, all I could think was, "Mom, what the fuck?" Like, why are you worried about your husband? <sighs> yeah. Why are you babysitting this adult when you should be worried about your daughter who is thinking of killing herself? Not that she knew because I never told her, but in my head, why don't you know that you're my mom? You're supposed to know that. Because I'm, you know, 14, 15. <laughs> so she should have just known without me telling her. Um, and why are you Ooh. spending so much time in and out of court with my with Brandon? Why aren't you paying attention to me at all? Right, because up to that point, me, my mom, we used to have movie nights. We used Mm. to play Mm. restaurant. Like I was a mama's girl, so it was a big shock when all of a sudden, um, I remember this one time. Actually, we went shopping at the Pen, which is the mall by our house. So we went shopping there, and I can't remember exactly, but it was getting to be like two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon, something like that. My mom's like, "Okay, we better go because I need to get home before Cass starts drinking." Excuse you? You need to go home because your 50-year-old husband, you're worried about him drinking. Like that is not. And mm. again, I'm 1450, 14 to mm. 15 years old, going, mm. you're going home to babysit an adult instead of spending time with your daughter. Mm. Huh. Mm. Okay.
0: I hear you. Bloody hell. Okay. So
1: it was just it was hard.
0: So I accept that this was hard. Um, at the same token you could say where are this suicidal ideation coming from what is happening there so there's already an undertone of darkness there oh yeah when when did that arrive between there's a difference between between not fitting in at school and having maybe not a great home and then Mm -hmm. suddenly spiraling maybe into a darkness and maybe out of control
1: Hmm. So the first time I can really remember the the darkness, um, I was fourteen. Um, and it was the feeling of aloneness, but it was more, more the feeling that I didn't matter. Nobody wanted to talk to me, anyways. I had a I had a teacher at school actually tell me I was never going to amount to anything. I hope he got fired. I don't know. Um, But so I'm having, that was the only really, really bad teacher. Um, There was a few others that were kind of eh, but he was like bad. Um, And then just again, at home, people being completely ignoring me, not, and then I also just, I didn't understand life. And I'm not sure how to describe that exactly. Mm -hmm. So recently, last year, I finally um, received my diagnosis of autism. So it made a lot of my, my life make sense. (laughs) So when I'm saying I didn't understand life, it was, I didn't understand those social cues that most teenagers understood. Like when it comes to say dating or flirting or stuff like that, where teenagers are normally doing those things, I, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand it. And so I felt like I didn't fit in and I wasn't, maybe I wasn't person enough. Like I just, Mm. I shouldn't have been here because I don't Mm. have these Skills that everybody else has.
0: Intriguing. Intriguing. Yet, I mean, you don't need a, a formal diagnosis to feel like an outcast. You don't need. Oh, no, not at exactly. all. Exactly. So it is maybe to a certain degree, it was helpful for you with hindsight to maybe explain some of your traits. Yeah. And That's why
1: ma- I went for it. I mean, exactly. it doesn't change anything about my life. Exactly. But it mm. made things make sense when I look mm. back.
0: And sometimes that is all what is needed. I mean, with, yes. my, with my PTSD, I only figured that out really two, two and a half years ago, or something thereabouts. Um, and prior to that, I was blind to it. And once I had the thought construct in my head, once I realized, ah, that's why I responded that that way throughout all my life, suddenly it all made sense. So yeah. yes, it is actually quite good to, to figure out how you tick and why you tick that way. So, therefore, yeah, beautiful, yes. beautiful that you found that path for yourself. Okay, cool. How what? How was the job situation then later on? I mean, were you? Uh, how did you continue on your path? You you tried. There was so, the darkness, but yeah. it, school. Yeah. I mean, how did school finish? Were you good or?
1: I I, I graduated. Because uh, Remember, that was one of my mom's rules. If I was going to stay home and skip, I had to pass. So I did. Good. My grades were less than stellar, but yeah. I did what I needed to do. Um, and then I actually, I had moved out of my house uh, in grade 12. Yeah. So it got to a point that I just, I couldn't be there anymore. I could not handle the yelling, the screaming. Yeah. Um, Family Children's Services was involved because yeah. my brother had, um a baby at the time and I'm not going to get into that part because that's not my story to tell um but I just I couldn't handle all of that
2: yeah
1: um and actually so I moved out to my friend's house because she noticed that I was I was on the edge Mm. um if it would have continued going on that way I think I probably just wouldn't have been here anymore Mm. um And so, and like my dad was completely neglectful. My, my biological dad, he just, he used to take me every other weekend when I was a kid. um, But he'd take me and he'd just fall asleep. So again, he wasn't, there was no direct abuse, but it was complete neglectfulness where I, I didn't really have a dad. Like it just, that's, that's how it was. Um, And he used to say to me, you know, I love you, right? No, I don't because you pick me up you take me home and I say home, he lived um, with his parents. So my Nana and Papa um, who were up the street from my cousins, he would take me back there and I'd go over to my uncle's house and I'd see my cousins the whole weekend, which I mean, as a kid, yeah, I want to see my cousins, but I don't have really any memories of actually doing something with Mm. my dad. Like Mm. he took me camping with other families. And I, again, I didn't spend time with him. Mm. So it was, yeah, I, Mm. he didn't want me. My mom didn't want me. Nobody Mm. wanted me. There was yelling, there was screaming, there was throwing things. Um, I think the only reason that I never did actually get hit or hit with something was because my mom always sent me upstairs. (laughs) So she, she was still trying to protect me. Right. And so Mm. she would send me upstairs and that's where I'd be with my cats. Um, Mm. and so, yeah, my friend noticed that, um, in August, we start school in September. So in August, she knows that. And so she asked her mom if I could move in and so I did and my mom came home the one day and she saw me packing and I said I'm leaving I have to go um I can't be here anymore like I just Mm. I can't so I went I moved in with my friend I was there for about 10 months or so most of the school year Mm. most of my grade 12 school year um and by then my mom had finally broken up with her husband yeah and so I moved back home for just a brief period of time. Cause again, it didn't feel like home living at my friend's house, right? Like that's her family. It was good. Cause it wasn't as toxic mm. as my house, mm. but again, as a teenager, you are craving your family, you are craving acceptance yeah. and I couldn't find it anywhere. Mm. Um, so I moved back home for a little bit, um, just to kind of figure stuff mm. out. Um, I did get into all the colleges and universities I applied to Uh, I didn't go (laughs) at that time Um, but I got into them but again I knew that I wasn't emotionally ready to go off and and do that stuff Um, and so I eventually I moved in so I started working at Subway um, at at that time and one of the girls that worked there she was about to rent this new apartment Uh, three bedrooms. She already had one roommate. She was looking for another roommate. And I really got along with her well. It was great. So I moved in with her. And I I mean, the dynamic there was great. Both of my roommates were really, really awesome. Um, problem is I got pregnant. (laughs) Uh, so we're not gonna go down that path, but so um I had I had my baby when I was 19. Um, I had moved out of her place, I'd moved in with another friend who was looking for. A roommate to help pay the bills um and then I was at my aunt's house watching a movie and my friend she comes knocking on the door with her boyfriend who I later found out was it was super abusive to her and this is why she did what she did but at the time again I didn't know um and she told me and I had only just moved in so maybe like a month maybe maybe two um this 15 years ago so yeah mm. um and she knocked on the door and she just told me that I needed to move out didn't give me a reason didn't say you know this isn't working out or you didn't pay me rent or you leave messes everywhere like i was a clean person i paid my rent like i don't understand um and she just she kicked me out what the hell so then i was homeless um, homeless and pregnant that was lovely my aunt though she did let me come and sleep on her pullout couch um, like i said that was the aunt that i used to spend all my time at i didn't have a mattress there anymore but so i slept on the pullout couch Um, and eventually I did find my own apartment. Um, I went at that time, then, uh, subway had switched owners. Um, and so I started working at the bingo hall in the snack, like the snack bar area. Mm -hmm. And so that was all right. And I had my baby, like I said, I was 19 at the time. And so I went on maternity leave. I moved back in with my mom because my mom had just bought a house with her current boyfriend who um, she had known for a lot of years. And he seemed like a really nice guy. Seemed like. Let's just reiterate the like" part. (laughs) So I lived there for about a year. And during that time, um, realized that he was not this nice guy. And I had said to my mom, I mean, I think it's a little soon for you to buy a house with this boyfriend, but Mm. the older you get, the faster you seem to jump into things. (laughs) Um, And so it turns out that he was alcoholic and uh, did coke. So that was a great surprise for my mom. Um, Turned out he was cheating on her and not paying the mortgage like he was supposed to as well. So that was lovely shock for her. Um, So and I was actually scared that he was going to beat me. Like Kaz, yeah, he threw stuff. He yelled and screamed, but he never, he never chased you through the house. Like if you left and you went to your bedroom, shut the door, he never came in. Wayne would have, I think, I think he would have. Um, cause I remember a time I was holding my, my baby right. A couple months old. And he got right up in my face, right up in my face, screaming at me. Um, that was the only time I remember actually like being scared. Cause even my brother, no matter how, um, high or drunk he got, I was mm. never scared of him. And, but mm. Wayne, I was scared of. Um, so I actually, I almost moved into a women's shelter. I was in the process mm. of interviewing to go there. Cause I, I needed out. I needed to make sure that me mm. and my baby were safe.
2: Sure.
1: Um, and at the same time I was applying for subsidized housing. And I was lucky enough that I got into subsidized housing. So I didn't have to go to the women's shelter because I got into to housing. Yeah, true. Um, during all of that, I also met my now husband. So my baby would have been six months old, I think, when uh, we got together. It's now been 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, clearly that one worked. Um, so I started dating him in June, beginning of June. And he was going to college in that September. And he said, well, why don't you apply? And I said, yeah. Okay. So I ended up applying for pre-community services. Cause that was open by the time I applied. Most of the programs were all closed. So I applied uh, for that, got in, I went. Um, and so I got into that. I moved into my own place and wow, life was just so much better during college. Oh my goodness. It was like a different world, <laughs> a completely beautiful. different world. Um, so my son, he went to daycare there. He met with a couple other little baby friends I, I he got along with um, I met a couple of people in my class that we really got along together uh, so college was awesome after I did pre-community services I was like all right if I'm going to do this college thing I better graduate with something that's going to get me a job yeah. <laughs> because, because pre-community service is just what it sounds like pre-program so um, halfway through the the year I actually went and I got it made I had to do some running around in order to get accepted to community and justice services yeah. because they don't normally take people halfway through the year. So I had to go and like beg the Dean of, of that program to let me in and say, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'm, I'm good. Mm. And so they did, which is awesome. Nice. Um, so I got into that. I, I really loved the program. It was, it used to be called corrections. It used to gear towards working in, in the jails and yeah. corrections, yeah. Um, but it opened up more to community services. Yeah. So I actually did my placement at a drug and alcohol recovery house for men. And it was awesome there. I loved it. All of the guys um, really respected me. And I can say that they didn't respect all of the students there the same mm. degree. Um, you could tell by the way that they would talk to them, but it's, if they tried to give me any kind of sass or whatever, I was like, mm, no, 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 no. Right. And they respected that they didn't push it because they knew that I wasn't going to back down and that kind of thing. So we had a really good relationship with, with the guys there um, and the other staff there. I learned so much while I was there. It was amazing. I loved it. I did a music workshop for them and stuff and not all the students um, got to do workshops, everybody kind of had their own like yeah. this is what we think you're capable of, right? because you're working with vulnerable people, you don't want to set them off, like you need to make sure, sure. that who you're sure. letting do things can do those things mm. um, so that was awesome. I ended up graduating actually at the very top of my class, a oh, wow. little brag yep when <laughs> the uh in the graduation book, I have a little star beside my name for the only person over ninety. Uh, <laughs> um,
2: And then,
1: yeah, then I started working at the Native Center that's near me. Mm. I was literacy assistant and I was a career developer there. Things were going fairly well. Um, And then, I mean, I still had different times where the depression would hit here and there because it happens at random times, Mm. but it wasn't a prolonged period like it used to be. Mm. And then, and then my kid turned eight. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so my kid um he was he had issues like at a younger age, but for the most part, when he was little little, he kind of hit milestones according mm. to the daycare, mm. and then he stopped hitting the milestones mm. um and as he got older, it was becoming more and more evident that there was clearly something different about him um and in grade. Three for him, I don't know what it is about when kids turn eight, but when kids turn eight, I don't know, something happens. (laughs) So um, we were constantly getting called with the school. He was having meltdowns and I'd have to leave work and go and pick him up. And we're like, what is going on? So we finally got him to a a behavior specialist and through all the various diagnoses and and runarounds and all that, finally got diagnosed with autism. Um, and I'm like, ah, oh, that makes sense. Cause you're so much like your mother. Um, not that at that time, I knew that I also had it, but that probably should have been an indication. Um, so there was his meltdowns are very violent. So there's different degrees of meltdowns and things like that, mm. but they were violent. Um, and then Shit. as he got older, nine, 10, he started um, instead of being violent outwardly, he started being violent inwardly. And I just, I cracked, so I also lost my contract at the Native Center. Like the position, position was just done after mm-hmm. two years. Um, so that kind of sucked. I had to find another job. It took me about eight months to find another job, which I mm-hmm. did um, as an employment counselor at another not-for-profit. And being in social services is a very difficult job to begin with.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You hear a lot of people's crap, and that was fine until I had all sorts of crap to also <laughs> deal with. Um, when me and my husband were engaged, he almost died, um, from undiagnosed diabetes. And he's so that we had to deal with and figure all of that out. Um, he's doing fine now. Um, and then with my kid, like I said, going through all of that stuff, I just felt like the worst person ever. So we were going in and out the hospital because my kid actually was trying to kill himself, actually going through with it, trying to kill himself. So he tried to take, um, and at that time I was on antidepressants cause I had, like I said, the bouts were still there mm. here and there. So I finally had made the decision, go to my doctor, get some help. Mm. But, um, he had taken them cause I didn't think, you know, I'm, this is where we always keep things. I'm going to keep it there. Mm. So we'll have a safe now to keep it in. Mm. But I remember freaking out because now this is, this is my fault. I mm. left these out. Mm. Um, I left these God. accessible. And yeah. so having to take him there, they had, he had to drink the charcoal and all that. Um, he tried to hang himself at one point. Um, he's cut himself. He Mm. has tried to run into traffic. He has tried to, um, he has tried to stab me with a knife. He has tried to push us downstairs, um, into traffic. Like it was just fucked up. That is the best way to possibly describe this. Mm. It was horrendous. And I just, I was done. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't. I wasn't a good mom. I couldn't be a good worker because I was worried about my kid. I'm not a good wife because I don't. I had didn't didn't have the energy to help anybody or do anything, and I didn't know what to do. And we're asking, we're asking every service provider mm. that we know for help. We're asking therapists for help, and it's waitlist after waitlist after waitlist because our mental health system mm. sucks. <laughs> there were times when we would take him to the hospital, and he would look at the doctor and say, I feel like suicide. And the doctor would say, well, kids don't talk like that. He's fine. And send him home. Guess where we would be back the very next day, back at the hospital. Oh. And so we, I spent so many days in the hospital, so many days driving back and forth to the children's mental health ward, which is about 45 minutes from where I live. Cause he occasionally would get admitted there for a week. So we'd be driving back and forth every day to go there. Um, and so it just. It was draining and I, I was done. Mm. I was so done. How I, long did
0: that period last?
1: A long time. Mm. Um, Cause it was there before I went to my doctor to ask for antidepressants. It was probably before I finally sucked it up and went and talked mm. to my doctor, which I should have done beforehand. Mm. Um, it was probably almost a year. And the only reason that I finally went and talked to my doctor was because I was at work the one day and I started crying because I got another call from the school, another, another call to go pick him up. And I'm sitting down at, um, with one of my coworkers Mm -hmm. and I'm telling her, I'm going to drive my car off a bridge. That's what I'm going to do. And where I live to where I work, there are three bridges. And that was my plan. I was just going to go home after work, but not really make it home. I was just going to drive off the bridge. It's fine. Because it just, I had nothing left. Absolutely Mm. nothing left. But instead, I went to a doctor. Mm. (laughs) Which is a much better way to handle things. It's Um,
0: very hard. It's very hard for people to to accept it or appreciate that if they've never been in the same place yet yeah. when you're in that moment of darkness that that thought that you will no longer be here comes as a relief it comes yeah. as a as a oh nice i can finally rest i can finally sleep i can finally yep. the pain is over so
1: yeah. that, that's that, all it comes down yeah. to is just wanting the pain to be over yeah. That's
0: it. How did you escape the pain? I mean, there, there must you didn't do drugs, you didn't do alcohol. <laughs> what was your distraction?
2: You must um have.
1: I went to the gym a lot. Ah,
2: okay. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. obsessively so.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I did kickboxing. Right. Um, and I went every chance that I absolutely could, leaving my husband at home to deal with our kid, which yeah. wasn't fair to him in the least. And yeah. we have we have talked about it since then, but I couldn't do it. Like I, mm. I just couldn't, I had to not be home. Sure. So
0: but that's, and that's the respite you need. And that's the, the self-care and the self-love you showed yourself.
2: Yep. Exactly. Okay, that's
0: beautiful that you could find that. That's actually a relatively non-destructive uh, way yeah. of coping with that. So for that, I'm so pleased for you that you had <laughs> that visceral insight somewhere that you actually yeah. made that move. And not just set home.
1: Other than that, um, the not so healthy one was eating tubs and tubs of ice cream.
2: Mm. Yep.
1: Yeah. I'm an emotional eater. (laughs) And ice cream is my go-to. And I don't get a bowl. I just eat it right out the tub.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the past does not equal the future. The past does not equal the future. So that was me in my worst times. Um. And anything would actually go, uh, sugar. Yeah, take it. Alcohol. Yeah, take it. Drugs. Never really. And for that, I'm grateful um, that I never went down that route. But yes, uh, working like mad. Yes, absolutely. Anything to distract myself from. Going exactly. Like, no, I'm. I feel you there. I yeah. What changed?
1: Um. Well, eventually we, like I said, we got the diagnosis for, for my kid, um, which was a relief because again, we had an answer. So Mm. we get on wait list. It didn't change the fact that it was going to be hard, but it was a little small kind of reprieve for a moment. Mm. The times when he would be in the hospital for the week, those were little reprieves because Mm. I knew he was safe and I didn't have to worry about him. Um, and then finally, finally in grade seven, he got into, um, a program that he goes and he lives there for three months. So an intense treatment and it was, it was good timing because that's also when I had cancer. (laughs) Um, so I got cancer three years ago and at first, so I went for my regular women routine thing, except I was, um, I can't remember if it was one or two years late going and getting this done because there was too much else going on. I could mm. not go to the doctor. I didn't have time for myself. Mm. Um, so for any women that are listening, do not put that off. Please don't. <laughs> um, because mm. it came back with some irregularities. And so I had to go to the gynecologist mm. and he did some more tests and then it came back as bad irregularities. But they called it pre-cancer at first. Mm. It was just it was just pre-cancer. So we're going to have this little surgery and we're just going to take out these little bad parts here and then we will be fine. fine. Um. All this while my kid is trying to, again, kill himself or stop me, all right? And now I'm getting told that I'm dying. Cool. No, 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 it's pre-cancer.
0: Come on, on. take it easy. But of course, the voice in your head says, no, that's it, Now bango."
1: Exactly, exactly. And so I'm dealing with already my negative thoughts that I live with on a regular basis Mm. on top of everything else.
2: Sure.
1: Um, I go, I have what I call first surgery. Mm. And they say, okay, the doctor will call you in eight weeks and then you'll you'll be fine they called me one week later Mm -hmm. when that happens that Mm -hmm. means it's not good so they called me they said can you come in today Mm -hmm. and I was like well my kid had a therapist appointment that day that you know I really needed to get him to but my in-laws took him so that's good and I went and I sat and I waited and I waited and waited because they were just kind of trying to squeeze me in the doctor comes in and he goes you already have kids right
0: Uh, uh,
1: I was uh, like yeah uh, uh,
2: were you planning
1: uh, on having any more Well, no, my husband had already got a vasectomy. No.
2: Good. Good.
1: Okay, that's good. Um, Because I'm very sorry to tell you this, but you have cervical cancer. Mm. And the world just sort of stopped. Like, I knew going there, I knew that's what he was going to say. Because why else would the doctor call me Mm. a week after my surgery when it was Mm. supposed to be eight? Um, But I still wasn't prepared to actually hear it out loud. Mm. And so I said, okay, well, that's fine. You could take it. I don't need it. You could take it. Just take it. Just to say, and he goes, well, you need to finish healing from the surgery you just had. We can't do it yet. Like, okay, but I don't, I don't need it. Like, I don't need it. You can have it. And I just, I kept repeating that sentence that felt like forever. It was probably only one or two minutes, but it felt like forever that I just kept saying it. Um, So I did eventually about two months later yeah. have what i call second surgery mm. um and it was a full full hysterectomy they took mm. everything well i shouldn't say they took everything they left the ovaries for hormones uh, but they took everything else and um, which was great except for the fact that for whatever reason the doctor did not prescribe me antibiotics after this one i had lots of pain meds or whatever but they didn't and normally after a surgery they would give you the antibiotics mm. to make sure you don't get an infection mm. like i had mm. that a- after my first surgery they didn't. I don't mm. know why. Um, so of course I got an infection and almost died. Mm. Um, so it was, I think four days later and I've never seen my husband so scared in his life. Even when my kid was was on his way to the hospital in mm. ambulance, that wasn't even like, this topped everything. Um, even him on his deathbed, this topped it. Um, and he rushed me to the hospital cause I couldn't even stand anymore. I couldn't drink anything. Mm. It was so bad. And they rushed me right in. I didn't have to wait because my husband was like, Well, she just had a hysterectomy and now this is happening and whatever. They rushed me right in. Um, had an IV. They had so hard a time finding a vein to draw blood because I was so dehydrated. They poked me so many times and I was so weak that I couldn't even protest. Like, I hate needles, I hate needles so much. Um, but I was just like sitting there going, okay. Uh huh. Sure. And they po- they poked me a couple times up where they normally do. And then they ended up having to take it from my hand because that was the only place they could get any kind of blood from. Yeah. Oh, it was bad. And my time there, I was just kind of in this chair re- reclined, but I had the IV, and I just was so out of it. Mm. Um, they took ultrasound. They took a CAT scan to check for anything else that it could possibly be, mm. just to mm. determine it was. It was the infection, which we caught, we got the meds, we're good. Mm-hmm. But oh my gosh, was that scary. Um, but yeah, so then my kid went to, went to the treatment center and that was what really was the catalyst of change um, because him being there meant I could breathe. I could focus on me for once. I didn't have to worry about Mm. him. I knew he was safe. He came home every weekend though. So we would have to drive. It was Mm. about two hours away from where we live. So two hours there, pick him up, two hours home. Definitely wasn't Mm. pleasant, but we did what we had to do. Um, Mm. And when he was there, he learned so many coping skills. They did every Mm. assessment under the sun to try and figure out, you know, the speech delay, the psychoeducational, all of these things that Mm. we had been fighting for for years. Mm. finally got to have so then when he came home it was honestly like a different kid and that was now three years ago and he is doing so good now which makes it a lot easier for me to focus on me when I am having really bad thoughts because they Mm. still they still creep up Mm. um yeah but that's that's my long-winded story it's
0: (laughs) but it's important because the trauma does not necessarily always have to come in one big slug but it can be so many little traumas and you're just rolling with the punches and you think finally this is over and you turn around and there are two new things just battering you and you think what the hell I've just dealt with that then you've dealt with that then you've dealt with that and I had 10-15 years of that and yeah. I, yes, I succumbed to alcohol because it was relieving my pain. Yeah. And um, I probably
1: would have too if I didn't have a kid living in the house. Yeah. Yeah. That was the only yeah. thing I think that stopped me from doing it because somebody had given us a bottle of wine for our wedding. Yeah. And my kid took it and tried to drink it. Oh. And I said, like, okay, hey, no alcohol in the house. No. Nope.
0: Brilliant.
2: Oh, so brilliant.
1: that, that kind of saved me. I really think that because mm. addiction runs in my family, my aunts mm. and uncle, they're. Well, my aunt is a recovering alcoholic now, but right. um you know it's there. It's it's mm-hmm. easy to to yeah. go do that. Um yeah. the other
0: thing that strikes me with your story is that when you got sick, you wanted to live. Yet prior to that, we had so many thoughts of killing yourself and taking your life.
2: <laughs> yep. So
0: that's an intriguing, yeah. intriguing thing there. Um, was that because suddenly you were no longer in control? Was that, what
2: was the difference? Um,
1: I think so. I, you know what? I have never actually thought about it like that before. Uh Um, but yeah, I think it was, I think it was that I wasn't in control to make that decision anymore, like you said. Um, and the only reason I never followed through with with driving off the bridge, because that was I was hardcore. Mm. That was my plan. Mm. I had picked the bridge and everything. <laughs> um, because we have a lot of them around me. Like we live by a canal. <laughs> okay. So um by multiple canals, actually, the old one and then the new one. Um the only reason I didn't do that was because I felt bad leaving my husband to deal with it all by himself. Mm. So yeah, and then the it, I still wanted to die, but I just didn't want to leave him to have to handle it all that, that just wasn't fair <laughs> and but yeah when i got told i had cancer it was wait a minute uh if i'm going out i'm going out on my terms i'm not going ah, out on your terms
0: exactly exactly right yeah how intriguing yeah. so what happened then so first uh, of all you had actually made that decision i want to live now yeah. once you make that once I mean, it's difficult to go against it um so it, yeah so now you wanted to live but how did you turn your life around what happened um
1: so like I said my kid going to um treatment was a big one because that that hot mess of parenting and stuff that was sort of being taken care of and while he was there my husband and I were able to focus on our relationship as well um Because I mean, when you're going through these things, and a lot of a lot of people with special needs kids, especially, Mm -hmm. they don't make it through. It's it's really hard. Um, So we had to do a lot of talking and yelling and yelling and talking. And (laughs) um, but through it all, through thick and thin, it's been 15 years. So he ain't going nowhere. I ain't going nowhere. Um, But we needed to work on that. We needed to just breathe. And having that breathing space. I was able to, you know, even just talk to my friends again and figure out what do I want to do. So when I had just before I got the diagnosis of cancer um, or pre-cancer, just before that one, um, I was I had taken a leave of absence. So that was my second leave of absence. Before that, I had taken a leave of absence from work because that was when I was so rock bottom that Mm. I couldn't drag myself out of bed to go to work. Um, so my doctor wrote me off for three months. I went back, I was working Um, part-time and it was about a year and a half later that this all happened. And I was again, getting down in the pits and not knowing what the heck I was going to do. I mean, I hated my job. I hated going in there. Social services was not something I could keep doing. And my kid had basically got kicked out of another school. He had been to so many schools, like I can't even count how many schools that they have sent him to because, oh, this one will be better. Oh, this one will be better. Mm-hmm. Okay, the thing with people with autism is change is hard. Of and
2: course. now you
1: just keep changing him and not giving him a chance of to course. be anywhere? Are you yeah. freaking kidding me?
0: It's, oh, it, it was like, difficult it was- for you. It was difficult for you as a as yeah. a person who was maybe not as diagnosed, not as mm-hmm. affected by the personality traits. Um, so, and, and please, any school, um, any pupil uh, having yeah. to change schools,
1: Exactly. So he had, they had just changed him to uh, alternative education. He lasted 5 days in that class before he refused to go back to it. He was adamant he was not this is grade 6. He was not going back. They didn't teach him nothing because the alternative education was like not very classroomy and kind of like let's all learn at our own pace. That doesn't work for him. That doesn't yeah. work for too many people on aut- with autism right. or even ADHD yeah. structure is key. Yeah. There was no structure in this class, uh, <laughs> which uh. beanbag chair do you want to sit on? Like yeah. there, it didn't work. So he lasted five days. And then I was just, I was a wreck again. Cause what the hell was I going to do this sure. time? We ended up homeschooling the rest of grade six, yeah. actually. So I took my leave of absence from work. Um, got told I had pre-cancer and went, you know what, yeah. screw it. We're going to homeschool. Okay. And it was hard um, at the beginning because he didn't want to do work with mom. You're my mommy, you're not my teacher. And so what I would do, I, was, I would go, I would take his worksheets with me, go and sit on his bed. And he was in a very depressed state. Like I said, he was in and out the hospital for suicide attempts. So he would be sitting in his room in the dark, not wanting to move. So I'd go, I'd sit on his bed. i go, go, well, as soon as you finish this math sheet, I'll leave you alone. Mm-hmm. But I ain't leave until it's done. And that's, that's what I would do every day. And he would yell and scream at me and throw stuff at me. But I was so done that it didn't matter whatever throw it at me yell it. I I don't even freaking care anymore but we're just going to do this math Mm. um as we kept going and he realized that mom wasn't going to leave him alone it got easier to do (laughs) and he actually started to enjoy it um so that was really good and so that that kind of made things a little bit a little bit easier and then like I said grade seven he went to his his thing Mm. and I didn't go back to my job. I did not go back to social services after my three months. I said, you know, what? I can't do it. I absolutely yeah. cannot do it. Very lucky that my husband got a new job during that time yeah. um, and started making enough money that I didn't have to go back to that job and I could kind mm. of figure something else out. Um, so I actually, at that time, I opened a fitness studio and was a personal trainer. I'm still a personal trainer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because, uh, you know, I love kickboxing. And so I did that for, for a while Um, I closed my studio, luckily I closed it in 2019 because we had a grandson born um, by my stepdaughter who is uh, a couple of years older than my son. And I closed there because as much as I loved doing it, I wasn't really making, I was just like breaking even. Yeah. And I couldn't do that with the baby in the house. So, um, and there there was other compounding reasons for that. But um, I started working at... The gym that I train at as well so that that was good my coach let me go and do that um but luckily it was just before COVID hit because my tiny little barely started business would not have lasted through COVID It Shut would have closed anyways <laughs> uh, so that was kind of nice um mm. but yeah and through through all of that I've been working on all my writing and because I published my first book 2017 mm. so before I had cancer um and 2018, when I had cancer, I had just finished my second book. Um, so and then it was a pretty big break between the next book because of just everything going on. I didn't really focus on any of that. I didn't know what I was doing. and But then I got back into it. I mean, I always still wrote. I, I'm big on writing poems to help me deal with stuff. And so I got back into it and now I think I've gotten like nine books published. (laughs) So. What does the writing
0: give you? Why do you do it?
1: uh, Sense of control is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I don't have to answer to anybody else. And the great thing about self-publishing is you really don't. I don't need to like, I, I ask um people debate or read I will ask an editor you know their opinion whatever but ultimately if anybody's change is not something that I agree with Mm. I don't have to do it (laughs) complete Mm. control over what it is that I I work on and what I do and I get a creative outlet Mm. um, because obviously I'm a very creative person with always acting and whatnot Mm. um so I get that creative outlet and I can do it when I feel like doing it Mm. It's not nine to five. I don't have to stress myself out over it. Mm. I can just do it when I want to. Mm. And I can work on three different books at once that are, uh, you know, three different styles. If I'm yeah. feeling very childish, I'll write yeah. a kid's book. If cool. I'm feeling, you know, so cool. I've got, got those choices. Um, and it, it is the best way for me to articulate my feelings. Like, I, I feel like I'm really good at articulating my feelings right now. But that's because of years of writing them uh, out.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so when my brother died last year, I forgot that was another traumatic experience. But my brother died last year from his drug addiction. It was fentanyl. Um, and I wrote a bunch of poems to help me through that. <sighs> and currently I'm writing a book about him um, and about being being a family member to somebody with an addiction because there are quite a few books and they're fabulous books they are great books um from people written uh written by people with an addiction or recovery there's not as many um by the family members and the being a family member of somebody with one is hard so hard
0: but all mental health problems are essentially family diseases but especially so depression especially so addiction So both of them I think are on par because mommy has never been the same or daddy or the son. And it's just so destructive uh, because for those people who love you, they feel so powerless they don't know what to do they have got often very little understanding they don't know where mm. where they can get resources I mean nowadays on the internet it's getting better uh, although now you need to be careful what you're actually reading because some yeah, of it is yeah. pretty pretty shit um but at the same token yeah it is it is a hard journey and again it is the ability to meet others who have been in a similar boat um mm-hmm. is so so critical and so beautiful when that happens, when the connection happens and the, maybe a mom can say, wow, I feel like you. Wow. Just what you just shared with the group here um, mm-hmm. is, God, you, you you spoke out of my soul. And these are the, yeah. the beautiful things. Did it, Does it happen to you when you write that your fingers run away with you and you're writing something and your eyes just look down and think, what the hell am I writing? As if they're (laughs) driven by something. And Um, I had that a few times where you just write, 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 write. And you think, what the fuck is coming out of my fingers? And then when you read it, it is a revelation, a revelation typically about yourself, about trauma that occurred in the past um, or about another aspect of healing that you had neglected. Um, Has that happened to you?
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. That's how most of my... Stories begin, I think. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> but most
1: of my non-fictions they yeah. just kind of begin that way.
0: Right, yeah, and that's and that's beautiful, and that's that's what I certainly did. I had a for a short period, I had a bit of a writer's block. And I didn't know what to do, so I did some forced writing. So it doesn't matter what it was. I was just writing it, and that was one of these uh, moments when suddenly things came out, in which I thought, "What is that?" and <laughs>
2: yeah. it's
0: intriguing it's intriguing how many words do you write a day
1: it depends on the day some days i don't write at all
0: Ah, interesting interesting some days
1: i write like a mad person like correct yeah. so um and that's what i love about writing is i i don't have to do it if i'm not feeling in the mm. mood and i know some people i've heard some people say i force myself to write mm. i have but it's never as good as when I want to write.
0: Fair call, fair There is, of course, the, the five-minute gardener concept. If you were to spend every day five minutes in your garden, five minutes, not one minute less, not one minute more, just five minutes, set your alarm. And if you do that every day, your garden will look stunning. Things are are coming and blooming and you've got food on the table um it's beautiful so it's the same yeah. thing with writing so uh, some authors say uh, write one sentence each day at least yeah. one sentence and if you write one sentence then well done you've achieved it and if yeah. you want to write more then you go for it man um and that's cool so I actually like that when I'm in a in a project where I'm actually actively contributing and doing something or writing a chapter Um, often enough I'm all out so like you it is you start writing something and you know it's a 5,000 word chapter and when I start writing yeah it is suddenly the sun has set and and I'm still writing and I've more or less done the first draft in a weekend kind of a thing and it's exactly uh, when it catches you it's beautiful yeah and that's and I think that is so so wonderful the power of you Putting things onto paper, your own thoughts onto paper, can be incredibly revealing about your yeah. own thoughts. So that's where the journaling comes in. That's where the, mm-hmm. the, all the therapeutic use of writing comes in. Do you yeah. have any? Do you have any strong opinions with regards to writing by hand or writing on a computer?
1: If it's something that I plan on publishing, I do it on a computer because I just yeah. don't want to do it twice. Fickle. <laughs> But I have always loved pen and paper,
2: Mm.
1: pencil and paper to be precise. Um, I just feel there's more of a connection with it. Mm. So especially poetry, poetry, I Mm. tend to write on paper first because Mm. that I'll write randomly, sporadically. It's like an emotion hits me Mm. and I have to get it out. And so I grab the book that's nearest me and I put it down and close it up and maybe I'll look at it again. Maybe I don't know, Uh, but uh, that uh, tends uh, to be a pen and paper kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And in all fairness, there are some studies out there who show that different parts of the brain getting stimulated when you write by hand versus you write on the computer. So it's well worthwhile to realize. But then again, who says that you nowadays have to write because there are things like dictaphones and yes. um, people overseas. So if you're struggling with dyslexia or so, that doesn't mean to say you can't publish a book. You can actually just talk, talk, talk. And surprise, surprise, suddenly these words are getting translated onto paper. And you can have an incredibly amazing journey doing exactly that. So the, the healing can occur even if, you're, if you don't have fingers and you can't really yep. write. Um, that doesn't mean to say that you can't tell a story. After yeah. all, the earliest form of storytelling was sitting around a fire in a cave. Um, That's right. So there you go. So sometimes you don't have to to go all fancy and you need the newest writing software. Uh, I got <laughs> a little bit confused at times that I needed absolutely everything before I was able to write. And actually, yeah. when you think about it, nah. Yeah. You don't even need software. There's Google documents and things like that. You can just actually go onto the internet and start writing and it's there and it stays there. Stuff like that. So really no excuses are there. So
2: that's
0: right. So oh, how cool is that? So what are you writing on now? Or what are you working on now?
1: So right now, again, a couple things on the go, always. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the thing, I'm writing that book about my brother yeah. um, to bring awareness that, you know, people with addictions are people. <laughs> First and foremost, they yeah. are people and they're not just the addicts you, you see on the street. Because yeah. um, people used to always say that to me. Um, oh, well, he's an addict anyways. But he's to my mm. brother. <laughs> um, mm. So I'm working on that. I'm working on another kid's book. So just before Christmas, I released Woofie's trip to the hospital. So Woofie is a stuffed dog and he helps different kids be brave because he lives in a classroom. So I'm working on the second Woofie book
2: and uh, he's going to help
1: a a different kid be brave. Um, And then I'm also working on the history of Crime Stoppers of Niagara. So Crime Stoppers is, it's a worldwide program. And we have one where I live. And so last year they asked me to write the history of it. And it's been a very slow process because it's so much research and Uh, trying uh, to get a hold of all of these uh, different uh, people. uh, 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 (laughs) So like at this point, I've written all that I can write until I track down some more people. Excellent. (laughs) So that's a slow going project, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, but here you go. Yeah, but here,
0: sorry for interrupting, but here you go. Already two out of three is focused on healing, on working through your past or helping others yep. to have an easier path compared with the path that you had. So if a little woofy yes. can actually help one child to go through an emergency department experience in a better way. Bingo.
1: Exactly. Oh,
0: well done. Exactly. Well done.
1: My it was actually my aunt in like, I think it was 1995. She wrote this little story about Wolfie for my cousin's class. And uh, so she uh, found uh. it when she was cleaning her basement. She's like, hey, can we use this? Can you use this for a story? And I'm like, it needs, it needs a little love. Um, because my aunt's not a not an author, author but yeah. it needs a little love. And Excellent. so we did it. We got it all done up. Um, my son did the pictures for it because he has his own art business. So he, he sells his art. Um, so he did the pictures for it. He's done. Yeah. He's done quite a few pictures for me. Um, and so we put it together. So then my aunt was like, Hey, we should, we should get Wolfie to go to do this other thing. So she just. Um, sent me the rough draft
2: um, of it and I have to go yes that's right the woof draft
1: (laughs) (laughs) so um, I have to to look at that and then of course get my kid to get on board with write it with uh drawing the pictures again for it so
0: excellent um, excellent are your books available on Amazon or where who do you work with of course of course
1: yes oh, amazon excellent. is the best way to to get a hold of those oh, and all me. of them are on there like i said i think i'm up to nine oh, now between kids books and yeah. um i did a self-care journal last year nice. Nice. Um, what i wanted so i've never been able to find like a self-care journal that i really really liked mm. so i was like okay well, i'm just gonna write my own then mm. <laughs> and Very so good. it's it's 365 things, mm-hmm. but it's, it's with seven sections, 52 things in each section. So mm-hmm. it has your typical journal prompts, mm-hmm. but then it has fun stuff like mazes and crosswords, uh-huh. um, and uh-huh. workouts and rest uh-huh. recipes, yeah.
2: um,
1: because I just, I wanted something totally unique and different
2: uh-huh. and
1: I named it. So I had the name before I had the concept for the book, be selfish.
0: Nice nice everybody
1: always goes oh i can't take care of myself or they think it's selfish and i'm like
0: oh i like i I like nice
1: i had to i had that written as soon as it came to me randomly one day i wrote it on my whiteboard be selfish yeah no idea what i was going to do with it six months later i finally figured it out (laughs) beautiful
0: but it only shows that your brain has got the solutions to many of your problems. We are not used to asking the right questions. We ask stupid questions, why me? Or why, you know, it is the wrong questions, not how can I live a life so abundant that I, I can write books? How can I learn to write a book? How can I learn to tell a story in maybe a little bit of a more elegant way are more and more fitting way for what i actually would like to do rest assured we're all babies at some stage and we learn things some of us are just more stubborn and stick with one thing (laughs) and and just learn that a little bit better than others yep um and some of us make life and make make money with it and that's cool um Mm -hmm. but that might or might not be the case for you guys you guys out there you might go through your darkness and you might actually say well actually let's give that whole thing a meaning and from now on I will actually keep a journal and write that down and who knows maybe one day the starkness is finished and I will come out the other side because guys yeah a sneak preview that's what happens okay so <laughs> these are emotions and they are waves of neurochemicals Sometimes the wave is a big wave and it lasts maybe a few weeks and maybe even a few months, but it will yeah. go away. Okay. So therefore, you know, just write that down, write all that shit down. And maybe one day you're gonna be on my show and actually tell me how beautiful it was to actually write all those things and 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 actually just the moment they you've spelt them out, the moment you put actually things into words. It's like a power. it's like a a transformation is happening right there in front of you. and that is that is what we all do we we all first, um, and we might be crap to start off with. and I'm still probably crap um compared with you know uh, Krisham on whatever the 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 cool names at the moment are. Um, but it's me, it's my honest and true story. and with each and every thing I write. I'm growing and I'm healing. I'm dealing with trauma. And that is beautiful. That is why I do what I do. That is why I spend my time interviewing guests. That's why I contribute with other authors on their books and vice versa. I've got multi-author books that I run, but we are all sharing those their stories. In doing so, we are healing and we are healing others. And that's a beautiful, beautiful journey so absolutely so wow well done you well done you I don't think there's any stopping you (laughs) Lee, and I don't think that (laughs) i stop anytime soon (laughs) so (laughs) no let's make this world a little bit better one book at a time and I think that would be the way that I would look at my future
1: yeah
0: Hmm. Lee, do you help others um so if someone says wow actually I wouldn't mind giving it a shot. Um, Have you helped other budding authors?
1: Um, Yes, I have done. I've given some advice to some budding authors. I've uh, edited some other people's stuff for them. Um, So I'm always available, always open to do some of that stuff.
0: Fantastic. And guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast. That's right. You've got all the information for Randy Lee down there. I watched you down there. You might as well press the like button and the subscribe button because they're just sort of next to each other and it would be rude not to. You
2: might as well. uh,
0: yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But more importantly, uh make the decision to take action. And if, the, if you, Ever wanted to write? If that was something where you thought, yeah, maybe one day, I tell you what, there is no one day. There is today. There's, right now. Okay, <laughs> take some bloody piece of paper and just write and just see what happens. Yep. Or your computer, just write and see what happens. And yep. you might actually lay down an idea that will then, from then on, blossom because it has it has changed from a dream to something very real there it is there you there you've written it down so now the journey can start uh it's yep. beautiful i'm excited for you guys honestly i'm excited because the journey is is ongoing it's a never-ending journey um yes i misappropriated that title but hey um it is it is nevertheless Love that. <laughs> it is our it's our journey and yeah. Randy Lee, you yeah, I can't wait to read more of your books. Um, it is uh, beautiful. Now it's it's and the same with you guys out there. So one day, if you actually feel, hey, you got a bit of a of a pep talk here from us today, and you've written something, send me an email or send me a message and say, hey, yeah, I've done that. Come on, I want to see, I want to see what you guys are up to, and and how you live a life with passion in such a way that really. Drugs have no role to play. Alcohol, yeah, live. I'm too busy, mm-hmm. busy living my life. Depression, okay. yeah, thank you. Okay, tonight I might have a, a pity party, but tomorrow I'm going to get up and write something or yeah. live my life in other ways to the fullest.
1: Yeah, yes. cool. I always say I have depression. Depression doesn't
0: have me. Excellent, exactly, exactly right. And the past does not equal the future okay however whatever you had to do in the past to deal with the demons you did that was the past but today is a new day right now you have got the privilege to make a new choice it's completely up to you so you know choose something wisely and follow through take one action step right now when you switch off after you've pressed the subscribe button (laughs) Cold, <laughs> Randy Lee. Thank you so much for coming onto my show. You're an amazing guest. You're an amazing woman. Don't you dare stop writing, okay? Don't I you? Don't dare plan st- on it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, no, let's make this world a little bit better. One interview, one book at a time. Look after yourself, guys out there, and live with passion. Okay, bye. Dream!